Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Wendy Zveglik, a Senior Manager of Solution Engineering at Salesforce. Wendy talks us through how and why she transitioned from a successful career in finance to becoming a solution engineer at Salesforce, having never worked in an IT role before. Wendy explains what the first few months were like, what she felt Salesforce saw in her, and why she was able to add value to her customers by really understanding their problems and not just focusing on the technology. Wendy is a natural leader, so having moved up from a solution engineering role to leading teams of solution engineers, Wendy explains why she enjoyed the leadership role so much and how she keeps developing as a leader. Finally, Wendy talks about the Latino Force initiative and why she was so passionate about it, plus shares some advice for anyone looking to transition their career or achieve a daunting new challenge. It was awesome to have Wendy on the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Wendy, welcome to Talent Hub Talk. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. I am so chuffed to be here. I cannot be here. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you are here indeed, and it's uh, it's great to have you on the show. I uh, I'm super excited to unpick your journey, and uh, I've got quite a few topics in mind. Um, for anyone that doesn't know you, uh, you know a lot of people in the Salesforce ecosystem, a lot of people at Salesforce will, but but some people might not. Um, I want to make clear your your um, journey, I guess, because you know you haven't always been in technology. You've not always been at Salesforce. So, if you could break down your career into phases, what would those phases be? Oh my gosh, where did we start? I literally get a get a pen and a paper and just do a squiggly line, and that's kind of my career, right? My hashtag is hashtag from teller to tech. And in between, it's like such a, a story, a rainbow of opportunities of hard work. But if I was to break it down, it's kind of like working in finance, in banking, in wealth, in distribution. I thought before starting my you know, uni degree or studies of accounting, I thought I'll take a summer, I'll take a part-time job and I'll work as a part-time teller. I caught two buses to get to <laughs> Paddington and started as a part-time teller worked all the way through retail business, wealth, distribution, private banking, virtual advice. Crazy, right? A great adventure, banking and finance. In between, paused, had my baby, came back into the into the finance space, done some other incredible um, jobs that were opportunities that were given to me. And then um, the Royal Commission hit and um, I kind of went, I want to understand what is possible through tech and I came across an event at Salesforce, fell in love with what technology could do, what the platform was all about. And I thought I need to make a move into that space. And so from, I grew up in finance and then made the move about four years ago into tech and um, took a massive leap of faith <laughs> and, and, and vice versa. And, and I moved into tech and, and moved, worked for, been working for Salesforce as a lead engineer in financial services and then found my way back into leadership. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, a squiggly line of, of an adventure and it just keeps getting better and better. And who knows where the chapter will end, but um, yeah, I'm enjoying the, the ride so far. And obviously you um, you mentioned you went to a Salesforce event. So were you, were you a Salesforce user at that time? Like, could you, did you have exposure to the platform at the, the, the moment you turned up at that event? 
So truth be told, I'd use Salesforce a little bit, classic Salesforce in a company where we had to do lead um, management. So I came along to Salesforce and heard about Salesforce and heard about all the things that they were doing. And I, I remember going up to the, the speaker and um, they were like, oh, you must be a super user. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't actually understand what you guys, are, the platform itself today, but um, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated about the way that you're trying to help customers do better business, how you're trying to, you know, automate, how you're looking at optimization. These are, these are things that really resonate with what I have done as a business leader. And so I'm curious to understand what the platform can do. And if it's like legit, as good as you say it is, right? And so um, that's how I kind of came into to understanding a little bit further. I left that session and literally went home, Googled Salesforce CRM, Googled Trailhead, <laughs> show me what's it all about and, and just started to consume and fall in love with like the whole platform and what it could do. I was not a super user. I had zero Salesforce University certifications. I mean, I was, it's one of those people that kind of go, how on earth are you here? And so it's like, I'd say brand new user to full, fell in love with it, to become a, a, a technologist that needed to understand the platform, had to understand the back end to then come back and talk to my finance customers and any customer I was given the opportunity to work with to kind of go as a business leader, these are the things that really worried me or concerned me, or these were the problems I was trying to solve. And then talk to them about, is this what still is happening in your world? And they'd go, yes, you're speaking our language. <laughs> and then I would then talk about what the platform could do, right? So I kind of came at it at a different angle, solving, being one with the people of like really understanding what they were facing and the pressures that they had and the things that they wished they could do. And then marrying, reverse engineering it, right? And going, here's what can can happen with the right type of solution. Yeah, because I was going to say, what, what do you think Salesforce saw in you specifically? And I guess you kind of answered it there, right? So you weren't coming at it from a technology standpoint. You could be put in front of a customer and understand their pain point. Yeah, I, I think there was, I think, daily checkpoints where I'd say, oh my gosh, why why on earth did they hire me, right? <laughs> and they're too kind to fire me. They're just, they're beautiful people, right? But what I what I learned on my journey was that I was really, um, I think they brought me in because of my experience and relatability. And I break down complex, complex um, problems that businesses face. I understand the pain points and I can relate value and I talk in business improvements. I talk the language of leaders. I talk about beyond like functionality and tech and workflows and processes. I talk about improving employee satisfaction. I'm, I talk about delighting your customers beyond the next ask. So it was just, I think, an opportunity for them to, you know, really leverage my experience, the mindset that I brought. Yeah. And, and kind of like being really relatable to our customers. Do you think that's a massive gap in the market that we need more business people, like business domain experts coming into the world of tech rather than tech people trying to solve business problems purely with tech without understanding necessarily the drivers behind that? I truly 100% believe that, right? I thought they were pretty brave to bring me in. But then when I was given the opportunity to build and expand and hire more talent into my business 
unit. I specifically, you know, um, challenge my HR business partners of like, I don't want to go and hunt for engineers from our competitors. I reverse engineer, engineered it. I was like, I'm looking for great storytellers. I'm looking for people that have industry knowledge. I'm looking for people that have the ability to connect and are really relatable and you know, that, um, that, that love to problem solve. And some of those hires that I had ended up being some of the, the best talent I've ever seen in Salesforce. And what I think their winning edge was, again, you can teach people technology, but how to build connection, how to talk the language of the industry, how to talk about things that really matter to those companies and storytell and take people on visions and take, you know, create journeys of success together. That sometimes requires, you know, le- a new level of thinking, challenging the status quo and looking beyond. Yes, they have 10 years SaaS experience at a vendor or a competitor. Yeah, makes sense. But I do know and, um, and, and understand that it wasn't an easy transition, right? So you were coming at it without ever having done any trailhead badges. And the expectation is that you get a certain amount of search and things like that. So what were the first couple of months of um, going from finance into being a solution engineer like? Oh my gosh, Ben. Like it was like being placed in into um, a dark room at times, right? It was like the onboarding process was phenomenal, right? There, you know, there's no lack of information. There's no lack of of um, quips and study notes and programs and like people that are willing to help. It's like arriving into a, a foreign country and you're like going, oh my gosh, the, fa- the food looks amazing. They, they all seem really nice and they're all quite lively and, and, and bubbly, but I don't understand what they're saying, right? I don't know. I can't <laughs> even order. <laughs> so it felt like that. And so for me, it was a steep learning curve that I reckon the first three to six months in any job are the hardest. But I felt like landing into a into a foreign country where you didn't understand the language, could see the good food and the good drinks, but you didn't know how to order them. Being able to then kind of go, I got to study this and I got to understand what they're saying, why they say that, and what that means. So taking advantage of the trailhead, different types of platforms that share study notes, becoming certified, hitting certain amount of points um, within the first three to six months, right? That was a requirement um, as a part of the job, but. You, you can't just tick a box and go, I'm going to do 100 points. You've got to actually understand it. Well, for me, it was like, I need to understand it because I have to be compelling and understand what I'm talking about. But then also having to go through university level certifications, right? Salesforce, admin, advanced, platform builder. All of these are external certifications that you have to pass. And it felt like sometimes, you know, like I said, another language and another lingo and even getting your head around how they ask those questions, right? And also being deflated because you studied really hard. And then I fell short by one point and I was devastated. I was like, they're going to fire me. Like, I can't even pass a certification. <laughs> they're going to fire me. Then having to kind of pick myself back up and go, I have to study, right? I'm too old to study. Why can't I? Why is the information not sinking in? And I remember one evening, my husband, you know, sitting on the bed and like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. And he was like, just quit just quit, like, just go back to banking. They'll hire you in a heartbeat. Just quit. This is too stressful. Maybe you are too old to study, right? Oh, that was it. I was like, what? And then, you know, the, the story goes on in a nutshell to, to failing, you know, not once, twice, but then to passing three certifications in 30 days. I mean, I went hardcore. Like I was like, I need to know this inside out. And then to pass and pass and pass. They were like, how on earth did you do it? Um, so anything's possible. 
lot of hard work. My husband takes full credit because he was like, I knew as soon as I said that, you were going to be like, I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> so he, he takes full credit for the certifications and the passes too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you think he knew what he was doing? But of course he did. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like he's a mastermind. He always says that to me. So yeah, <laughs> very, very clever man. <laughs> So uh, for anyone that doesn't know what a solution engineer does within Salesforce, can you shed a little bit of light, but then also like what parts of the role did you most enjoy doing day to day? Solution engineers, I feel it's one of the best. It's the secret weapon of Salesforce. It's someone that actually loves to understand what the technology is all about. It's someone that actually loves to, you know, problem solve complex business problems. It's someone that actually is always very curious by nature innovative and someone that loves to, you know, understand people's problems with really deep understanding and and look beyond what the ask is and then have the ability to problem solve and to create through storytelling what the future and what better looks like. It's a critical role in pre-sales because they have to have a deep understanding of business problems, customers, what do they really want to achieve? You know, what, what, what does this mean if this individual in the company really endorses Salesforce? How's that going to help them as well in their business? Because it's big decisions, big transformational pieces of work at enterprise level. And people, you know, can either make or break their career on these decisions and these recommendations of the technology. So they're people that build strong relationships. They're people that love to, you know, problem solve. They're people that build visionary journeys and visionary demos, we call them of what is possible. And they co-create. The really good ones really co-create solutions with the key people in the business. They're trusted business advisors. And they just they're just genuinely, I feel like the secret source of Salesforce, right? And and it's a great company and it, everyone has different roles to play. But the solution engineer, I really kind of defied the odds of going they're not just a demo dolly. They are more than that. And if you if you really um unlock their potential They really can do some magical things. I know a lot of people that I speak to that are in the partner world or, you know, like a lot of people aspire to be that solution engineer because you get to kind of solve problems. But from the outside, it looks like you're constantly like starting with a blank canvas. So rather than picking up someone else's mess um, that you might be if you're in a delivery team somewhere in in a partner world, like you're going into a um, an environment where it's a blank canvas and you get to present the potential, the possible and, and showcase that to a potential client. Yeah, that's it. We call it, we used to call it out of the possible and taking them on journeys to, to, to show what is possible, building those demos, collaborating with, you know, great people within the organization from a visuals to like the storytelling to, you know, what would that look like and feel like? It's like building prototypes to say, this is the experience that your employee would have, that your customer would have, that you, you as a business leader would have. So, it's kind of bringing all of that to life with an intricacy and a deep knowledge of what really matters to the customer. And I feel like it's also, you have to be curious by nature and constantly wanting to learn what's coming because with all the releases and the new functionality, it's like all of that comes, right? (laughs) The innovation keeps coming. So it's someone that also wants to stay on top of their game to understand what are these, what are these new, you know, new releases or these new functions, what do they really mean not generically, but tailored to these customers. So you're constantly up-leveling yourself to make you more valuable to your customers. And I think the other one is um, the ability to um, prototype and, and also like be, like I said, a, a visionary, right, of, of creating um, solutions or taking them on journeys or, or stretching their thinking to think about these are things that you may not be thinking about today, 
but we're agitating for you to consider. So you were in the, the kind of individual contributor role initially at Salesforce, and then it didn't take long before you were back into leadership. So what is it you most enjoy about leading people? Oh, so this is a good one, right? Because a lot of the time people go, oh, being a leader is so easy. And it's like, it's the hardest job <laughs> because I feel like in a way it's, you have to be ready to be of service to others, to walk away about being the the one in the spotlight, the one that wins the accolades, the one that gets to, you know, be in front of customers and wow them and, and kind of go, I built that demo. I, with my account team, were able to influence that customer to, to say yes to us and to lead big transformational projects. Being a leader means, you know, you put all of that, that kind of stops And now all of a sudden you're of service to the people that are in your care. But the exciting part for me is how do you unlock people's geniuses and their potential and how do you empower them and how do you move away from being this one individual contributor that's on fire to being sometimes like the pebble that creates the ripple in a pond, right? And that's what I felt for me, the opportunity to step back into leading a team of 15 engineers across Sydney and Melbourne enterprise and varied skills, right? We had people that were distinguished solution engineer level to principals, to leads, to emerging first time like intern engineers. And so for me, the call to to leadership, the calling for me is to kind of go, am I getting them to do the very best work of their lives? Have I empowered them? Do I remove obstacles? Do I create future leaders? And how do I get them to unlock their genius? Because especially in in an economy where sometimes headcount was paused and we weren't hiring or there was a shortage of talent, I had to really be astute with the people that I brought in. And so for me, it was like build belief, show show them how great they are and allow them to soar to new heights, right? And have fun along the way. So. Yeah, it's interesting that um, show them how great they are rather than show them how great I am. I think that's the, the probably the, the difference between like someone that succeeds at leadership and someone that, that fails, because like you said, you're you're moving yourself out of the spotlight, right? And I think in in some um, instances in the past, I've seen where the manager still wants to be the kind of the key person. I'll be honest, that's probably why I struggle. I, well, I've spoken to you off camera about leadership not being a, a, a skill that I feel I have in my repertoire very strongly and not something I really enjoy as well. And I think that's important, right? Some people enjoy it and some people don't. And, and you shouldn't just do it because it's something that is expected of you. Uh, you know, if, if leadership isn't for you, then it's not for you. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've had people, uh, you know, um, that have worked for me in Salesforce and other places that have gone, I want to become you. You don't seem to be that stressed. Like you don't have to do the targets. You don't have to do the presentations. You don't have to chase business. And I'm like, oh, be careful what you ask for, right? Like you've got to love it. You've got to love it. And there's been people that have kind of come to me going, I want to become a leader. Get me across the line. And I'm like, are you ready to, in a way, let go of certain limelight? Are you, wet, are, are you ready to be in many ways like a coach, sometimes like a business mentor or a, I guess a coach where you you sometimes can't be their friend, you have to be their leader. That sometimes is a lonely space, especially if you've grown up with the, the peers and you now want to become a leader. It's like you have to let go of certain connections to an extent, like they now see you in a different light and you're in a different circle. So you have to you know, I always, I kind of come back to why, why do you want to be a leader? And, and, you know, are you ready to, to sacrifice a lot, but also, you know, in a way be really fulfilled through the success of others. And, um, yeah, you can't learn it. You can read about it and you can study and go, yep, yep. That's so me. 
then until you have to be like live it and breathe it, it's a um, different skill set. You're right, Ben. It's not it's not for everybody. And just because you've been a great individual contributor and you go, look at me, I'm super successful. Give me a team and give me the title of a leader. Will it guarantee that you become a good leader? Yeah, this podcast isn't about recruitment, but in the recruitment world, that is what happens. Like the person that does the most placements ultimately becomes a manager. And that's what happened to me early in my career. I, I got put into a management role because I was a successful recruiter, not because I, I had um, great, especially at that age, I was like 22, 23 leading people that rolled to me. I had no empathy. Like empathy for me is something I've kind of learned through experience rather than being naturally blessed with it. And I think um, that's a really important skill, right, for, for leadership. Yeah, you're spot on because here's the thing. I've been given opportunities to lead businesses where there's people that are much more technical, much more experienced, and they think, what on earth are you going to be able to teach me, right? But I feel like when you truly care, and I think that's one of the the non-negotiables in leadership, you have to have a deep level of empathy and EQ, right, to look beyond what the resistance is or some of what the individual's facing you have to care more than they'll ever care to an extent, right? You kind of go, I'm invested in you. My job is to see you succeed. And that, yeah, requires a lot of, of EQ and, and compassion and patience, but also um, resilience and grit and also space to let them, you know, you can't step in and go, I'm going to solve this or you're taking too long and you're not doing it my way. Or, you know, <laughs> It's um, it's not for the faint-hearted, right? But I think with also the flip side is that it's so fulfilling to see people change, right? To be supported and 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 to have someone believing you. Sometimes even before more than you believe in yourself. You mentioned you can't just read a book. So, like, how can you kind of invest in your own leadership um, journey and um, I guess improve as a leader? Is it just purely by being in the trenches, like learning on the job, or are there other ways you you found? It's a mixed bag. You're never going to learn everything from just um, book savviness, right? You could listen to a million podcasts. You could go to webinars and hear some of the great best leaders and go, yep, uh I've got it all down. I'm like, I'm ready for this. You got to put into practice and you're going to have to test and learn and fail fast and fail forward. And then you're going to go, but in the book, it says like, if I treat the individual like this, then this is the outcome that I'll get. And then guess what? People are people, not everyone's the same. And so it's kind of like a a fusion of the two. You can learn about theory, but then you're going to have to feel your way through that. And I feel like sometimes there's going to be areas where you don't know. You've moved into spaces or there's been business decisions that happen that you've never read up about, right? The Royal Commission was a great example. You couldn't read about like how to treat people when our business unit is being put into sitman you know, how? So I think that's where you just have to go, trust your intuition, always do the right thing by people. And that will carry you. I think for as a leader, it's kind of like read, practice, continuously upskill yourself through great articles, through great podcasts, like your podcast, learn from others, find great mentors, build that circle of mentorship, who's really successful. And not just within your, sometimes your own business unit or industry, but, you know, have different types of advisors. You know, I've got like um, musician advisors, people that are in sports, people that are like ministers, um, and then people that are like that work for council. And you kind of go, how? What? what what's the the common thread? You, you learn from each other, right? And you just kind of go, I'm, I'm 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 facing some you know change in our business, 
and we don't know how to navigate that or we've got people that are resistant. And some of the best advice I've received is from someone that works in council that runs a crew of um, of garbage collecting, you know, teams, right? And we talked about even the logistics and the truck issues, but then also the people issues. And I just kind of get the end of the day, right? We're all people helping people in some way. And so that's how I've continued to kind of level up. Um, so I, I would definitely say, encourage you to, as a leader, you can read, you can try, but also build that circle of, of knowledge and, and that, that tribe. Yeah, I love that. At Salesforce, um, you were the, I think it was the ANZ president for Latino Force. Yes. So um, wh- why was that uh, something you wanted to get behind and why was it so important to you? So when we kicked it off, I was a, a founding member. So um, me and a, another man by the name of Sergio, we'd seen that Salesforce has a couple of equality groups, you know, for people that are vet force or or women um, or faith force. And so there's, there's a celebration of all different diversities, cultures, and, you know, um, beliefs. And we noticed that there was Latino force in the US and different parts of the globe, but not in Australia. So during COVID, for us, an observation was like we were working harder than ever, but we were blurring the lines. We were in the same space. You know, some people had big home office like spaces to be able to kind of go, this is my home office and I close the door and I'm now in my family life. But for some people, they lived on their own. It was one studio. It was where you where you worked was where you slept. And so it became blurry and that's where we wanted to set up the opportunity to have something locally in Australia to say, hey, let's jump on a, on a Zoom call, but not just talk work, but actually have a chance to connect to talk about your favorite Spanish food. Where's your favorite um, Hispanic or like Latin travel destination? What did you learn about that? And so it meant a, a space of celebration of remembering good times and allowing that to shine through right in, during difficult times. Then also, you know, teaching people Spanish. Hey, when this finally, you know, lifts, COVID and the travel restrictions pass, where would you want to go? And and what are the five phrases that you need to learn? And so teaching each other and having a bit of fun for one hour or listening um, to, we created even like Spotify playlists of like, what's your favorite Latin song? Let's get it on there. And, you know, on a Friday afternoon or when you're having a bit of a, a, a flat moment, play it. So hosting spaces like that of like, let's cook something together in your home or let's have a one hour of salsa dancing. No one's watching you, so it's all cool. <laughs> that was the the essence of why we wanted to form Latino Force and and to amplify our culture of who we are and, and making people feel warm and welcome and connected. And and I've seen some real success stories come out of it as well in the ecosystem, like in, in Sydney, especially um, people that have been involved in that, maybe externally from Salesforce, but have uh, have wanted to to be part of that and part of that journey and go on to to have some real success building Salesforce careers where perhaps they didn't have that background as well. Ben, that's one of my absolute highlights of last year. We were able to hold space and and have some um, incredible women come and talk to us about how they arrived to Australia, how they had been either engineers in the past or and all they could do here was become a, a cooker in a kitchen. Um, a babysitter or a cleaner and even being told you can't, you're not that good even to be a babysitter because you don't speak, your, your English is not strong enough, right? And so where they had lost all hope, we kind of got them on the journey of, hey, come and study through childhood, get a certification, you know, and 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 slowly start to build up their and open doors through the Salesforce ecosystem and to hear their story and how, you know, one coaching session with them and encouraging them and them also knowing 
Latinos are making it here in Salesforce and we have people that are ahead of us or to the side of us that will help us in any way, that changed their lives, right? Like literally last year, that was one of the highlights to hear their story full circle. They haven't just taken that gift and just used it for themselves. They've gone on to like evangelize to others what is possible. And so I'm just so grateful that, you know, one conversation led to people changing their lives and now have full permanent residency, have great jobs, have started their family. Like, I mean, you know, I'm done. Like (laughs) we inspired one person to change and, and look at what's happening. So, yeah. So if you, if you look back through the time you've had with Salesforce, um, what would be the kind of one key lesson that you'd take away if you could pinpoint one thing? That's a hard one. Ben, I would say, Matt, like in a nutshell, anything's possible. Anything is possible with hard work. And if you're legit all in, ready to learn, to, be, to check your ego at the door, to ask for help, to be vulnerable, to be curious, to innovate, to be of service to others, anything's possible. My other learning is don't say no on behalf of people because I remember looking at that job application and going, oh, I'm not going to get the job, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to apply. Thank God I didn't listen to, you know, that noisy Wendy and thought, well, what have I got to lose, right? Let them say no to me before I say no to the opportunity. So for me, it's kind of like take the opportunities, work hard and have fun, right? And have fun. I've had a lot of fun having you on the show. It's been great to to reconnect and uh, and hear more about your journey. And and like I think it can inspire lots of different people at different stages of their career, whether they're in tech now or or perhaps want to be. So yeah, thanks so much for sharing your story, Ben. I'm literally chuffed. Thank you so much. For for me, it's like full circle, right? I remember listening to some of your podcasts. Going, oh my gosh, like you know, Ben's this powerhouse on the Salesforce (laughs) front, right? And you've interviewed some incredible people. And so to be now asked to be on the podcast was just like, it's a pinch me moment. Spaces like this encourage people to take a chance. And if this story serves someone well to kind of go, look, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to at least apply. I'm going to get going on trailhead. And it changes one person, like amazing, you know, that I'm done. Like that's all that I can ask for, but also a huge, huge thank you for the work and the voice and the inspiration and um, and the hope that you give people. So just keep on doing what you're doing, Ben. Thank you so much as well to, to you. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate your kind words and your enthusiasm for what we do. And uh, and yeah, keep pushing me uh, to do the, the, the things that we're doing. I really appreciate it. If anyone does want to reach out and just pick your brains, where's the best place to find you? They cannot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I think that's the best kind of um, business in the business world. Reach out, direct message me. Um, I'm a fan of even the voice note. Hey, hey, Wendy, you know, I, this is where I'm at. Or, um, and let me know. And I'm happy to always, you know, gift you 20, 30 minutes time. Um, if you're Sydney-based, I'm happy to have a coffee. And um, we're all here to help each other. And People think, oh, you know, she's not going to have time for me. Again, allow me to say no to you. I know I probably won't. <laughs> so as long as, you know, we, we plan, um, I'd love to connect. And, and, and the other thing is no connection is ever wasted. I always learn and meet some incredible people. So feel like you're doing me a favor. It, to, to reach out is a gift to me. And so please don't deny me some gifts. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wendy. Thanks, Ben. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. 
I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.